Dear God, we thank you for this time together. Lord, as we think about the power of words, we are grateful that it all began with your word, that you spoke and created out of nothing. And Lord, it just reminds us that you have given us, uh, there's a, a power in our words, that we have an impact on people, on others. Lord, I pray for those dark places, those painful places where we have been hurt and wounded by withering words. Lord, I also pray for um, just those, we just are in gratitude for those who have spoken life into us. Lord, I pray that we would be that, those kind of people, that we would be encouragers, that we would uplift others. And we just ask this and ask your blessing on this time together in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, every 24 hours, I've read that 205 billion emails are sent. That's a lot of words. Every 60 seconds, 510 comments are posted on Facebook. Every second, almost 6,000 tweets are tweeted. That's about 350,000 tweets per minute. And so there's just all these words. And yet I think all of us would acknowledge the impact and the power it's, it's just a wonder what words do to us, how they speak into our lives, how we use them to speak into other people's lives. With words and a microphone, a comedian can make a group of people smile and laugh. With words, a teacher can open and stretch a student's mind. With words, in a public ceremony, we join our lives with another person in marriage. Uh, with words, a parent can give a child a strong belief that they are loved and valuable. And yet, all of us would acknowledge that with words, a parent can give a child a strong belief that they are worthless and unloved. With words, a bully can sometimes crush a spirit. I was talking about this subject with a man here in town this week, and he he said I could share but not use his name. And he said at 12 years old, he said there was some kids that were bullying him. And his decision was to end his life. His parents found him with you know, his dad's gun. And thankfully they stopped him and were able to get him out of that school and out of that situation. But words can lift us up. Words can crush us. So... Today I want us to think about experiencing the power of words. We all have, we've all seen it, we've all experienced it. Proverbs 18.21 says this, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Words are like a sharp knife. In the hands of a surgeon, they can heal, they can cure that same sharp knife put in the hands of a gangster or a criminal can hurt or kill. A river is life, but if a river gets out of its boundaries, it can flood and destroy and destroy property and take people's lives. We've all had those moments of life-giving words. After the service, if you want, we put up posters. If you want to take a moment and write a few examples of life-giving words people have poured into you or um, painful words. And the thing about painful words, I should say, is that sometimes painful words can be life-giving 
if they're corrective. You know, maybe that good friend sits down with you, looks you in the eye and says, I love you, but I don't trust you. That could be corrective. That could cause some repentance. That could call you to a different way of living. But often painful words are just withering. Someone mocks us. Someone guts us. Someone gossips about us. But life-giving words are profound. I love in the Old Testament what was done by the patriarchs, and they would call in their sons. And I don't know if they did this for their daughters. I hope they did. But they would call in their sons before they died, and they would make sure to pray or say over them a blessing. And they would speak into their life. And some of you have experienced that from your fathers. You've experienced a blessing. You know that he is proud of you. And that matters. I've watched grown men with fathers who weren't good fathers, and I've watched those grown men try to show pictures of the house they built or just, just reaching for that blessing. Life-giving words matter. In sports, you know, a, a crowd gets behind a team and it makes a difference. That encouragement matters. I think of Mary Kay Ash, who um, her mother had to go to full-time work because the father was very sick. And it wasn't that he couldn't do anything, but he couldn't do much. And so Mary Kay Ash, at six years of age, was kind of the main caregiver during the day while her mom worked for her sick father. And her mother would call home and on her breaks and check on her, and she would just over and over again you know, say, you can do it, you can do this. And out of that, that, that mantra, that motto that her mother spoke into her, she became one of America's most successful female entrepreneurs, Mary Kay Cosmetics. You may have used some of her products. Some of the most profound words are the words that are spoken into us when we are children. They become mottos for our lives. They become uh, mantras, things we go back to, whether they're positive or whether they're painful. Are there some words that are haunting you today? Sometimes those childhood mottos can become like prisons for us. Rich Mullins, a singer that I really appreciate, Christian singer, he's, he's passed away. His dad was a farmer, and, and he was a good man. But Rich Mullins was not designed to be a farmer but he grew up on this Indiana farm, and, and it, just, it just didn't go well. And one time his dad lashed out at him and said, everything you touch gets broken. And Rich said, that became a motto that grabbed hold of me in my life. Now, he was able to reconcile with his father. I think of Lee Strobel, a Christian author who uh, has a pretty famous story of being an atheist and after studying the faith for a couple of years, ended up becoming a Christian but he had a tough relationship with his father, and his dad once told him, he said, I don't have enough love for you to fill my little finger. And they were never totally reconciled before his father's death. There are so many ways we can sin with our tongues. We can wither with our words. When the Apostle Paul describes the depravity of humanity in Romans chapter 3, Verse 13, he gets into a little bit about our words, our, our speech. He says, Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips. 
apparently I was reading there's a, a, a snake or in, in South America that's called the two-step snake, and it's so poisonous that if it bites you, you only take a couple steps before you drop dead. And you may feel like you know that person. We can sin so many ways with our tongue. We can lie, we can gossip, we can slander, we can take the Lord's name in vain. There's an old story of a Sunday school teacher trying to teach his class about gossip. And in those days, I've never had one of these, but they would have a lot of pillows were feather pillows. And so he took the kids outside on a windy day and he took this feather pillow and he, he cut it open and he said, I want to give you a picture of gossip. And the wind just took those feathers just all over the place. And he said, you know, when you gossip about people, when you, even if you go back and apologize to that person, you can never regather the feathers. And in our era of social media, you can never regather the feathers. Whatever you say about somebody, it can go very far. Everyone has a microphone. Everyone has a megaphone. You know, Proverbs 14.1 says, The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears hers down. And of course, this could apply to a wise man as well, or a foolish man. But you watch people do this. They normally do it with their tongues. They tear down their marriage. They tear down their kids. They don't always mean it. It's just in a moment of anger, frustration. We have to think about those painful words. I'll never forget a senior citizen in the church I served in Indianapolis. She's passed away. This particular lady, I was a new minister right out of seminary, and and. I'll just be blunt. Her words, she was a flamethrower. I mean, just, I've never seen anything like it, critical. And so I sat down with the elders. I said, guys, what are we going to do about this? They said, well, she's been this way for 50 years. I said, have we, has nobody dealt with this? And so I got one of the elders, and we went and we sat in her apartment across the table, and I just tried to give her some examples to hold up a mirror. Her son was a pastor, and I said, you know, I've heard you say that you don't like your son's preaching. She said, yeah, well, that's true. I said, let me tell you something. If my mother didn't like my preaching, she would take that to her grave. How do you think that makes him feel? I said, let me tell you some things about your husband. Her husband had passed away years before. I'd never met him. And I rattled off four or five things really negative about her husband. And I said, where do you think I got that? I said, I got that from you. And I turned to the other elder. I turned to her. I said, was he a good man or not? They both said, well, overall, he was a very, very good man. I said, I want you to think about this. My only impression of your husband that comes from your mouth is overwhelmingly negative. And I held that mirror up for her. To her credit, after that conversation, there was significant change. To her credit. Words of life, words of death. We've all been wounded by words of death. We've all wounded people by words of death. And so we need to think before we speak. We need to be people 
who deal with the wounds that have been given to us. One of the most profound ways you can do it, when you, maybe you have some of those childhood mottos where death has been spoken into your life. You need to take the words of God because He's the ultimate opinion and you need to lay that over it. You need to believe that. So if you were told by a parent or a teacher or a, a supposed friend or another kid in the neighborhood that you're worthless, you need to read how God values you, how you are made in His image, how He paid the ultimate price by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross so you could be forgiven and set free. And you need to believe that opinion you're told that you would always be a failure, that you would never amount to anything. You need to grab hold of what the Scripture talks about, how we're given a hope and a future. And so we need to grab hold of the right opinion. And so we've all experienced the power of words, and we are all called to express powerful words. How are we to walk out conversations that we don't regret you know, ultimately, all talk is heart talk. Jesus makes this point in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, the last part. He says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If you bump me, if I bump you relationally, what pops out is what's in the heart. And so we want to have regret-free conversations. We want to be people who are people of life and encouragement. So let me give you some questions to ask before you speak. One question is, is it true? Is it true? One of the most basic questions. Proverbs 12.22, The Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in people who are trustworthy. When we go to court and we're to talk about a matter, what do they tell us? They say, you have to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And so important that we think this through. One author said this, honesty doesn't always pay, but dishonesty always costs. And it will cost you your reputation. It will cost you relationships if you walk in dishonesty. I love Proverbs 23, 23, which says, buy the truth and do not sell it. Pay the price of truth. Walk that out. Olivia Nuzzi says this, dance like no one is watching, which is probably what I should do. Email like it may one day be read aloud in a deposition. Stop and think. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore each of us must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. The old self, people lie. In our culture, we call it spin and we don't tell the truth always. We will never be trusted if we are not truthful people. And the greatest truth that we can embrace and share with others is that Jesus is the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of the living God, and that through Him we can experience salvation and heaven and eternal joy. So is it true is the first question we should ask before we speak. The second question is, is it kind? Is it kind? And I'm not saying you can't get confrontational with people, but be as kind as you possibly can. One author, um, Emerson 
Egerich, which a lot of what I'm talking about today comes from one of his books, he says that everybody has an oxygen tank that is basically, you could label it love and respect. And when you approach someone, even if you're telling them the truth, if you approach them and you don't treat them with love and respect, it's like stepping on their air hose. They're not going to hear you. And I know in our culture, we have this phrase, we say, well, respect is earned. And I get that, and I understand that. But stop and think about this. If you want to actually communicate with someone, if you want to actually have a relationship with someone, if you're like, well, respect is earned, so the opposite of respect is contempt, and you actually want to have a conversation with somebody, you actually want to have a relationship with someone, I mean, where's contempt going to get you? If I feel contempt from you, if you feel contempt from me, if someone feels contempt from you, they will not hear you. Watch a Facebook debate sometime. Most of them don't go anywhere. Now, Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is in Christ. Speak the truth, but make sure it's in love. This lack of kindness gets us in real trouble. Maybe it's a heated issue. Ask yourself seriously, am I focusing on the issue or am I attacking the person? Emerson Egerich once said this. He had, he had as a client this woman and she's trying to work on her marriage and she was carrying around a book and he, he, he said, she showed me the book, and he goes, this is not the exact title, but the essence of the title was how to live with an evil man. I mean, he goes, that's the essence of it. And he said, so, so she had this very angry husband as she's carrying around and reading this book. And he's like, really, what do you expect? I mean, if you're going to read that book, hide it. If you want to make any progress at all. 1 Corinthians 13.4 says love is patient, love is kind, love is kind. You know, there's temptations when someone strikes at us, someone gossips about us, someone mocks us, whatever it might be, to strike back. But remember the honeybee, the honeybee, the honeybee can sting, but it's a costly sting because it loses its, you know, it, its life when it does it. I appreciate Tony Evans and the story of his parents. Tony Evans is a pretty famous minister and author. And he talks about how his parents had this very volatile, dysfunctional relationship. It wasn't physically violent, but it was as close as possible. And he said, my dad came to Christ and he completely changed. And he said, my mom, it, it set her off even more. It ramped her up. It was, he, his phrasing was, he said, she didn't like him that much as a sinner, but she sure didn't like him as a saint. But he continued to turn the other cheek. He continued to be kind to her. He continued to love her. And one night, she came down the stairs, and he's down there. He's praying and, and reading his Bible, and she just starts in on him, and he offers her kindness again. And then she just stopped, and, she, and then she expressed how shocked she was and how he was treating her as she continued to come at him. And she said, I want what you have. So speak the truth, 
but speak the truth in kindness. He led her to Christ. Their home was transformed. It made all the difference. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. Always full of grace. That difficult person. Offer them that unmerited favor. I think of it, there was a story back in 1996. There was this old man, he was kind of a, a grouch, and he loved to come to the supermarket in Georgia, and he would come every morning and eat breakfast, and he, he was just kind of nasty sometimes in how he would talk to the employees. And, um, and, but several of the ladies who worked there, the clerks, just were kind to him. And they, just, they would just be nice to him. I mean, he would say stuff about their weight. He, would just, he was just obnoxious. And he did this for years, and, and, but they just they had a heart for him. He got cancer. They even went and visited him in the hospital. And they just were trying to be good neighbors, just being kind to him. He passed away, and a few weeks later after his death, this other man comes into the grocery store, and he goes to these different female clerks in the store and gives them each a check for $10,000. And it was from that cranky man's estate. He had alienated so many people in his life and they hung in there and showed him simple kindness and it made a difference to him. Proverbs 15.4 says, The soothing tongue is a tree of life. Encouragement is one of the great gifts you can give to people. The third question to ask, so is it true, is it kind, is it necessary? Now, we don't always have to speak. Our daughter, Maria, and our son, Tony, were one time playing horseshoes, and, and apparently Maria had a couple wild throws, and our son, Tony, said, I need to leave. I'll be right back. Just give me a few minutes. He went around the back, and he came back and, to finish the game of horseshoes, and he's wearing his bicycle helmet. <laughs> I have a great picture of him. It's not always necessary to speak. You don't have to say everything that comes into your head. Sometimes we hurt unintentionally, and silence is better. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 3, at the end it says, Many words mark the speech of a fool. Ecclesiastes 3, 7 says there's a time to be silent and a time to speak. Dave Stone, an author and minister, at a large church, he was at, they were having like a fellowship dinner, and there's a lady at the table, and he's chatting with her, and he says, oh, when are you due? She says, I'm not pregnant. And he said, before I put on the filter, I said, are you sure? Like, really? <laughs> we got to know better. Is it necessary to speak? You know, when the police arrest you, what do they tell you? You have the right to remain silent. And sometimes we need to keep that in mind. Proverbs 13.3 says, Those who guard their lips preserve their lives. Those who speak rashly will come to ruin. We have seen many people lose jobs over just something they said, something they tweeted, something they posted on Facebook. Proverbs 10.19, sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. And Jesus says in Matthew 12.36, he says that we're going to answer, we're going to give an account. This is, I find this very sobering. We're going to give an account 
on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Stop and think about my pile of words all being recorded. Is it necessary? You know, when you make an apology, so when you realize, oh, I have done something I shouldn't have done, you make an apology, say, I am sorry, and get specific about what it was, but then stop. Because most of us have a tendency to then put the excuse on the end of it. Which, what does that do? Guts the apology. Right? Is it necessary? The last question is, is it clear? Is it clear? You want to make sure you communicate clearly. My grandfather used to tell a story about me when I was a little kid, and my parents came to me and explained to me, I was having some breathing issues, and they said, you're going to have this minor surgery, we're going to take your adenoids out. And I'm like, okay. And so apparently I went to my grandfather and I said, Grandpa, I said, Mom and Dad explained that they're going to take my hemorrhoids out, but I don't understand how that's going to help me breathe better. So they communicated, but it wasn't clear. There was another time my mom wrote a note to my dad and left it on the table, and it said, get pot for wandering Jew. I was like 13. I'm like, why is my mother telling my dad to buy marijuana for a wandering Hebrew? I was totally confused by that. You want to have clarity, clarity when you speak. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 10 says, the teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. Check in. When you say something to someone, particularly if it's a conflict, you might say, so could you say back to me what you heard? You'd be surprised how often what they heard is not what you said. And that gives you a chance to clarify. And if somebody's talking to you, it would be wise to say, oh, so what I heard was, and tell them because then they can correct it if you're not getting it. Deuteronomy 27.8 says, And you shall write very clearly all the words of this law and these stones you have set up. Mark 8.32 talks about Jesus, that he spoke plainly about these things. There is not value in being complex or hard to understand. Be clear. Be direct. doesn't have to be you know, wordy. I think of Jesus, and he's one of my stories I love is that he's, he's walking on this stormy sea of Galilee, and he walks out to the boat where the disciples are scared for their lives. And they're, they're like, is that you, Jesus? And Peter says to him, he says, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says back one word. He says, come. Now, I personally would have wanted a little more instruction. You know, walking on waters, that's a new thing. That's a miraculous thing. You have any tips walking on water? Jesus just says, come. And he invites Peter into a miracle. Later in the scripture, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. They say to a lost world, come. Come accept the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he lived a sinless life, died a horrible death, rose from the dead to pay the price so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be changed. And we offer that invitation to the world, come. Think about the simplicity 
of that invitation. So be clear. So as we speak, be people who ask ourselves, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And so we want, is it clear? We want to be people, the big idea, people who speak life. That's who we want to be. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for the words that have been said to us that lift us up, that encourage, that challenge us, that correct us. Lord, we thank you for those brave enough to speak into our lives, those kind enough, those truth-tellers. And Lord, we also bring to you, to hand off to you, those painful words. Those words that cut us to our very core. Mottos from the time we were little that we have woven into our personalities and our decision making. Lord, we bring those words to you and we ask for healing and wholeness. Lord, each of us have been wounded. We pray for that healing. Each of us have wounded. I pray that you make us holy and repentant and help us to be people who speak life. Lord, this is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.